Hello, this is Dr. Tracy Hogan, The Happiness Ladder, and this is Gratitude, Attitude, Beatitudes, Part 2. In Episode 1, we talked about, number one, blessed are they who increase gratitude in their prayers, and we talked about gratitude journals. Number two, blessed are they who give God the glory for their growth. In 2023, as a therapist that specializes in depression and anxiety, I started to realize that the counseling world doesn't really understand how to use the Word of God. They haven't a clue how to use the scriptures to help stressed and depressed people to feel calmness, peace, and joy. So today we're going to discuss a strategy I use. This has been totally given to me one little inspiration at a time. It's using the scriptures with traditional cognitive behavior therapy to increase a person's gratitude and make a person feel calm and happier. I had a client I'll call Granger. In high school, he was outgoing and funny and had a good group of friends. He took state in wrestling. He went on some dates with young women who had great personalities. However, he had some periods of over-the-top excitement and grandiose thinking, and it was frenetic progress on any goal that happened to be around. Then his mind would spin and he would have trouble sleeping. He didn't know it at the time, but in his family there were genetics for bipolar depression. Then after those highs, he would have lows, debilitating depression where he couldn't do anything. So he held it together in high school, but when it came to college, it was so much worse. Without that structure of high school, without the help of his parents making him stick to his schedule, like go to class, wrestling practice and work, he got very depressed and slept most of the day, and finally he lost his scholarship. Then he got even more depressed and had suicidal thoughts and had to withdraw from college and move back home to Florida. The antidepressant Prozac didn't seem to work at all for him. His desperate parents brought him in for a family session and wanted to know how to rescue their son. They were so frustrated how he criticized everyone in the family and how he was so angry sometimes. They asked, are there different kinds of depression? We discussed how depression is a little like cookies. There are different kinds. Each has its own recipe. To get an idea on the composition of Granger's depression, I had Granger rate his current level of functioning in the six strengths of happiness. That would be 1 to 10 with 10 high. So in health, Granger gave himself a 2 because he had stopped lifting weights and he wasn't eating or sleeping well. In his relationship with God, Granger gave himself a four because since high school he had felt much more distant from God. He had difficulty reading his scriptures, saying his prayers, going to church was just miserable. He said he felt guilty for all his terrible choices. In the gratitude and positive attitude, Granger gave himself a two because he was plagued by negative thoughts. He tried to think more positively, but he couldn't control his self-criticism or criticism of others. He's so angry at everybody. And in growth, Granger gave himself a zero because he had dropped out of college and wrestling and screwed up all his big plans. In connection, Granger said that he used to feel a connection with his friends about an eight, But now that he was home, he wondered why they would want to hang out with him. He was so down and had difficulty being interested in anyone else, and his number there was about a two. In charity, Granger said a zero. He said he hurt so much it's impossible to think about helping others. Then I asked the million-dollar question, Granger, where do you feel inspired, impressed, to move your score up just one point? 
Granger was quiet for a long time. Then he responded he wished he could control his negative thinking and feel close to God again. I asked him to read this scripture and insert his name. For me, this is the quintessential cognitive behavior therapy scripture. It's the foundation for helping a person to change their doubts and fears and negative thinking into peace and happiness. Granger read, Therefore, fear not, Granger. Do good. Let earth and hell combine against you, for if ye are built upon my rock, they cannot prevail. And this one I have highlighted. Look unto me in every thought. Doubt not. Fear not. Behold the wounds which pierced my side, and also the prints of the nails in my hands and feet, and be faithful. Keep my commandments, and ye shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. I said to Granger, What does it mean to look unto me in every thought and fear not? He said he wasn't sure how to do that. I said, Does it sound like what God is asking you to do is move from your doubts and fears and look to Him? We can actually do that on a piece of paper. We just make three columns in your journal. Over on the left-hand side, let's write your doubts, your worries, your loss, your grief. So here's look to him in every thought. Under loss and grief, we put, All my friends are in college. I'm so jealous and angry that I can't be there. I'm alone and I'm too depressed to do much of anything. I'm such a failure. I can't feel God loves me. I'm not sure if he's really there. I'd be better off dead. I said to Granger, let's just acknowledge that those are some miserable, painful doubts and fears, and you must feel this anguish has lasted for a long time. And do you think maybe part of your depression is that you're grieving for the many losses in your life? He said, yes, and sometimes I'm just so angry, and other times I feel tired and exhausted and numb. I said, to take the next step, we have to have some logical thoughts of wisdom, and we wrote these things under logic and gratitude. I told Granger that we used to have research that showed about three out of every 10 women and one out of every 10 men will have at least one episode of depression in their life. But then researchers started noticing how men display a lot more anger and how much of the time the anger is really depression. So he wrote this in the middle column. One third of all men and women will have at least one episode of depression in their lives. It's so common. It's the common cold of mental illness. Mine is happening early in my life, but that doesn't mean I'm alone. 33% of people will get depressed. Though I can't attend college with my friends, I'm not a failure because I am working this depression problem. I'm going to counseling. I'm getting out of bed. I'm showering and eating and keeping myself alive. These small acts are a big deal. It's common to have difficulty feeling the spirit the more depressed a person gets. When I start feeling better, I'll start feeling the spirit again. I felt better in high school, so there's reason to believe I can get there again. In high school, I had structure. I had a busy school schedule. I made plans with friends. I had weightlifting for fitness. I had study and prayer and seminary and sacrament meeting, and I felt close to God. I wouldn't be better off dead because this is my test right now. I have to pass this test, not drop out. Number one, grateful for my family. Number two, grateful for my friends. I have a friend who's on a mission who texts me and one who calls me to hang out. Number three, grateful I don't have cancer. I have a healthy body. For the third column, we talked about love. I said, what would someone who loves you say? You've done it before, Granger. You can do it again. If you get good behaviors going in your mental, spiritual, emotional, physical, like you did in high school, 
you'd get better, at least back to where you were, and perhaps with medicine, even better. That's what a friend would say. I said, wow, that's powerful. Now, if you look to him, what words of God, what scriptures can you think of here that apply? What would God say? He wrote this in the third column, the love and God column. Jesus might say, I love you. I said, oh, that's so true. But I think we can go a little deeper, do a little bit more and elaborate on that. I just heard this on the churchofjesuschrist.org website. Jesus might say, I have perfect empathy. I know how much you suffer. I saw you. I suffered for your afflictions in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Heavenly Father might say, my plan for you is bigger than anything you can imagine for yourself. A life of joy, happiness, and service. Man is that he might have joy. You are good enough. You are loved. But that does not mean that you are complete. There is work to be done. I can help you become like me. You must take the first step. Have faith. With me, nothing is impossible. What do you feel impressed to do to take that first step? Granger said, I need to work on changing my negative thinking. I've got to get rid of the thought that I'd be better off dead. Yes, that's right, I said. It's like you are stuck. If you don't control your emotions, you will become a slave to them. By looking to Him, looking to God, and being the boss of your feelings, you are breaking free of that prison. Granger said, I've also got to lose the thought that I drag my friends down and they don't really want to hang out with me. I said, it's got to be rough to get the courage to hang out with your friends if you think you're a burden to them. I'm going to play you an old Saturday Night Live video called Debbie Downer on YouTube. I just want you to tell me if you're Debbie Downer. In this skit, several characters are bubbling with excitement. They're at Disneyland. One says, oh, I love the Space Mountain ride. Another says, oh, I love the Disney characters. Pluto in costume walks by and Debbie gets a hug from Pluto. And of all the possible happy, grateful things she could say, she says, the biggest drawback to working at a theme park is living under the constant fear of deadly terrorist attacks. Then there's a wah, wah sound. Then Debbie Downer says, oh, and dying of heat stroke in that heavy costume. Wah, wah. The friends slide away. Even Pluto gets sad and walks off. Granger laughed for the first time that day. We discussed that he was not that bad and how Debbie's gloomy statements made everyone feel discouraged. Granger said he felt like he was dragging down his friends and family all the time, even though he didn't say anything. I said, right, but be realistic and logical with me. Be factual with me. Remember, facts over feelings. Once a friend talks you into going out with them and you get out of bed and go, what happens? Granger said he would start to feel better and back to his old self. Like from one to 10 with 10 high, how good can you get feeling when you go out with a friend? He said, oh, I go from a four to a six. Sometimes I even get up to an eight. Good, I said. And also, what I notice is that most people have a part of them who is negative, but they can control it. Perhaps part of starting to control that part of you is naming him. Instead of Debbie Downer, how about Glum Granger? Nah, he said, I like Grimwald for my negative self. And we discussed that if Grimwald had something negative to say when he was out with friends, Granger would have to keep Grimwald in an inside voice. We discussed how look to him in every thought wasn't just a one and done exercise. To truly tame his emotions, he had to catch his inner critic and apply logic and gratitude and the word of God to negative thoughts every time it happened. 
Letting his thoughts run unchecked, letting Grimwald steer the ship, was ruining his relationships, limiting his abilities, stunting his success, and sucking the joy out of his life. We did the look to him in a few more sessions, and then he took a homework assignment to do the exercise every time he had an episode of negative thinking. I asked him to bring the homework to the session. As the months wore on, we discovered that Granger was an extremely lucky young man. His mother was the just serve coordinator for their church area. That means she got him out of bed no matter how depressed he felt and pretty much dragged him along to volunteer with her almost every day. For instance, on Mondays, he was a bingo caller at a memory care facility. On Tuesdays and Fridays, he prepared food boxes and loaded them in vehicles for struggling families. On Wednesdays, he joined with Helping Hand and collected items for the Syrian and Palestinian refugees who had fled into Jordan. His charity score went up to a nine. He was able to do a genetic test that told which antidepressant and mood stabilizer was best for him. As the months wore on, we discovered Granger was an extremely lucky young man again. His father got him to recharge his cell phone in the kitchen pantry after 10 o'clock at night. Without social media, Granger was sleeping quickly and all through the night. So dad got Granger to run with him very early in the morning. He got Granger on a whole food, plant-based diet. At first, Granger thought, there will be no life without pizza and burgers. But he made the change one step at a time in lots of areas. Granger was able to cut way back half the dosage on both his antidepressant and his mood stabilizer because he was becoming so healthy. After seven months in weekly counseling, Granger was proficient at look to him in every thought, and he broke free from his negative thoughts and fears. His beliefs changed, then his actions changed. He was able to manage his anger and depression. In his relationship with God, with all these other good things going on, he was able to get traction in his prayers and scripture study and start to feel the Spirit again. After a year, he was able to achieve his ultimate goal and go on a mission for his church. Granger will always have to battle this demon of depression he calls Grimwald. He will always have to carefully monitor and adjust his thoughts and actions in six areas of happiness. But it all started with changing his thoughts. So, number three is, blessed are they who look to him in every thought. So, number four is, blessed are they who help others increase their gratitude. Think back to people in your life who have been a light of gratitude, who taught you how to be more thankful, like Granger's mom dragging him to all those service projects. I remember my mother was a shy woman. She didn't know what to say to open a conversation. She didn't know how to get close to people. And she also wanted to share her testimony of Jesus Christ. So she'd often start a conversation with, what are you thankful for today? Such a great question. And it really works. My husband and I tried to incorporate that light into our child rearing practices so we could bond with our kids. At night, when we were tucking them into bed, we'd ask, what were you worried about today? And then to end the day on a positive note, What were you thankful for or excited about today? Once when I was babysitting my four grandchildren, I was saying goodnight to each one and I was very pleased to see my daughter had improved upon her idea and placed a notebook and a pen beside each of their beds. The parent was supposed to write the date and then a few words for the worries or the sad things and a few words for the gratitude or happy things of the day. 
This helped the child keep a gratitude journal. What an incredible way to give appropriate attention to your child. Help them feel listened to and loved and help them go to sleep feeling blessed. As a marriage counselor, I assign all couples to do couple time at night when their children are in their own bedrooms and they have time to talk alone. Instead of watching a screen, the first spouse asks, what are you worried about today? And then summarizes to give emotional support and then asks follow-up questions to show interest. Then the second spouse asks the same question. Then they ask each other, well, what are you most grateful for or excited about today? and three follow-up questions. Even if the worry for the wife is something the husband is doing wrong, arguing is not allowed. Just listening and summarizing. I've seen couples whose marriage was a train wreck, sometimes even close to divorce, start to repair and feel loved again by shining this light of gratitude and giving emotional support in couple time. Thomas S. Monson shared a story about Gordon Green called The Thanksgiving I Won't Forget. Gordon grew up on a farm more than 80 years ago. His father wanted the children to understand how blessed they were. So on Thanksgiving morning, they walked around the farm and took inventory of their cows, pigs, chickens, turkeys, and geese. They carefully counted their harvest of their barrels of apples and mountains of potatoes and their hay. Then the family sat down to a beautiful meal of the produce from their fields. After all that counting, they realized how blessed they were. That was the last good year. The next year, heavy rains destroyed their crops, except for a few hardy turnips that managed to survive the deluge. I don't know if you've ever eaten turnips. There's a reason Denny's doesn't serve them. Bitter veggies are better is not a slogan that worked in their advertisements. The family had to sell their livestock in order to have something to eat. So did all their neighbors. The prices they got for their animals was pitifully low. Without a crop, farmers were starving. One of the only good things about that year was that the family was finally able to afford to connect to the electric line that ran close to their property, and brilliant light bulbs illuminated their rooms. Gordon's mother wanted to cancel Thanksgiving. There wasn't even a goose to cook. Gordon's father went out hunting and managed to shoot a jackrabbit. Discouraged mother cooked the tough meat for a long time. She served it with some turnips, but the children stared at the meager meal and refused to eat. Mother started to cry. But then Gordon's father, who was the master of helping others see their blessings in any circumstance, asked the family to turn off their electric lights. He went to the attic and brought a kerosene lamp to the table. The family was amazed at how dark the house was without electricity. They were shocked to think of their previous life. They blessed their food and ate quietly in remembrance and gratitude, wrote Gordon. In the humble dimness of the old lamp, we were beginning to see clearly again. It was a lovely meal. The jackrabbit tasted like turkey and the turnips were the mildest we could recall. Our home, for all its want, was so rich to us. That's from the Reader's Digest in 1956. I love this beautiful story because that idea to retrieve the oil lamp was probably an inspiration from God. I admire this father for lighting the way for his family to feel gratitude in their extremely scanty circumstances. Number one, blessed are those who increase gratitude in prayer. Number two, blessed are those who give God the glory for their growth. Number three, blessed are they who look to him in every thought. And number four, blessed are those who light the way for others to see their blessings. 
If you want to light the way and help someone increase their gratitude, please hit those three dots and then share episode. Until next time, live like his son, help others on their way.